Today's scripture reading is going to come out of the Gospel of Luke. I want to invite you to turn over there with me to the 14th chapter. Today we're going to take a look at what's called the parable of the great banquet right there in the middle of Luke chapter 14 starting in verse 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use your pew Bible there in front of you if you don't have the Bible on your phone, which most of us do. But lots of options there. You can just follow along with this as I read from, again, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Let's read God's word together. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those guests who are invited, will get in to taste my banquet. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Uh, Because we're on spring break today uh, for at least Kennedy schools, we're at the end of our spring break. Uh, We do not have our Kingdom Kids ministry going on today. We do have nursery, of course, available, but we do not have Kingdom Kids today. So just a note on that, we should be returning to Kingdom Kids ministry next week, which is a wonderful ministry for kiddos who've aged out of nursery but aren't maybe quite ready to sit in the service. Of course, that's a parent's call, so that's up to the parent. But we do have that, and uh, we will be offering that next week. Okay, so today as we look at Luke chapter 14, I'm also going to touch base a little bit on Luke chapter 13 because there's some parallels there. Just want you to know if uh, maybe this is your first time here or you haven't been in a while, what we do on Sundays in the sermon is we are coming out of our reading plan. We have a annual reading plan that is a church we are going through together and out of somewhere in the previous week's reading plan typically is what I will be preaching out of. And so you will, if you are following that reading plan, you will have read this parable this past week. If you aren't following the reading plan and you would like to, we do have a couple left in the back. Uh, we have two. They look pretty similar. This is the one for adults and teens that you can pick up, and it's got all the information in there. I won't go through the explanation of how to utilize it. All the info is in there. You can pick it up. We also have one for kids, which has a journal entry in the reading plan that kids can participate in. And what I've told parents uh, is I would just encourage you, if you have kids in uh, maybe elementary school age, if they can read and write, they can fill out those journals. And that reading plan, uh, probably what might be best for them is just to read along with the New Testament scriptures 
because there is a psalm and a proverb reading each week as well. But I am preaching out of the New Testament scriptures each week. So they'll, they'll see that parallel in the service between what they are reading and then what they're hearing on Sunday morning. And then if they do go to Kingdom Kids, we often try to line up the Kingdom Kid message with what we're going to be talking about in the sermon on Sunday. So they have a chance to hear it even if they're not in the service. Okay, so let's pause. Let's just take a moment and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you so much for the beauty of Sundays that you have assigned to us this Lord's Day. You've given us this opportunity, you've given us this call to come together to worship you. On the very day in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which we are so much looking forward to in just a few weeks. My God, we celebrate it every day. We celebrate it every Sunday. That because he lives, we will live. Because he died for our sins, we don't have to. And where he is now, he is preparing a place for us. Where he is now, he is praying for us. God, in this this life, it is short. Help us to see that. Help us to embrace that there is a life that is to come that will never end. And it is beautiful. And because of Jesus, we get in on that. And I pray no one would miss out on that. That everyone here today would know what it means to have the security a believer has. That nothing we can do can change how you love us. In Jesus, you know us and you love us. And we have a hope and a future because of him. So in that light, Father, I pray that you administer to us and help us to worship you during this time as we open your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember uh, soon after Marsha and I got married, we went to a friend's wedding. And their reception that we went to afterwards was assigned. The tables were assigned. It was, you know, one of those kind of you, you didn't get to pick your own spot and who you got to sit next to. And we got seated at a table that we weren't really thrilled with. It wasn't so much the people as it was just people we didn't really hang out with. All of our friends were at other tables, and here we are over on this table. And I look back, and I just think how silly it was to get so upset about that and get frustrated about that time at the reception. And, you know, was it really a big deal? No, it wasn't a really big deal. I've forgotten most about it. But when I was reading this parable and just thinking about that wedding banquet and that moment together, And how I let something so silly kind of ruin it as, you know, we're human. We make those mistakes. But you ever think back on those mistakes you make and you just kind of cringe? Like those things that just, why did that come to my mind as I'm just grocery shopping? And now I'll think about that dumb thing I said or did. Is that just me? Some of you do that too? Some of you do that too? Okay, all right. I know, I know. We got to wake up, by the way. I think it's the cold weather. I should have prayed for that. But I'll just, Lord, help us. All right, there we go. Uh, In this parable, it's what... Jesus tells this parable in the middle of a party, Um, in a dinner party of sorts. It was on Sabbath, and when, for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was the celebration of the seventh day of, of creation where God rested, and so they were to rest from sundown on Friday to uh, sundown on Saturday. That was the Sabbath, and they would often get together, friends and family, they'd get together and they'd have a meal together. They'd have that Sabbath or Shabbat meal together. And they would, they would 
invite other people into their homes. And so this whole story that we just read, this whole parable that we just read, sits in the middle of this Sabbath dinner, this dinner party. We read at the beginning of chapter 14 that one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of prominent Pharisees, he was being carefully watched. And then Jesus proceeds. I I don't think that Jesus was unaware that he was being carefully watched. I think he, he totally knew that he's sitting here at this Shabbat dinner party and he's got eyes on him. Particularly the eyes of the Pharisees for which the prominent owner of the house that is hosting this party was one of the Pharisees. The Pharisees was a very strict religious sect within Judaism in Jesus' day. So knowing that, this is kind of funny, I think. This just tells you a little bit about Jesus, I think. Knowing that, Jesus proceeds to insult everyone at the party. He was that kind of party guest. Like, you just think about it. Like, would you want Jesus at your house for a party? Probably depends. Are you a Pharisee? No, you don't, okay? If you're not a Pharisee, I bet he was a great time. But he, he insults everybody there. He starts by insulting the Pharisees themselves and talking about their religious rules and how on Sabbath they would be quick to rescue a donkey or rescue an animal from a pit. They'd be quick to rescue their child from a pit. But here before them was someone who was suffering. I don't know if they were a passerby or if they were actually invited to the party. I'm not sure. But there was a person there suffering. It says the scriptures in chapter 14 that this person was was suffering from some kind of swelling in their body. And, and, and Jesus knows what they're thinking. We see that in other places in the scripture. And he knows that to heal someone on a Sabbath went against their custom. And they were not to do that kind of thing. And he says, you know, you would, you'd heal, you would save your animal. You'd save your own child. What's wrong with saving this person who's suffering from swelling? And so he heals him. He heals this person who's suffering from swelling and total healing. And everybody there, I'm sure, was in awe. But that was specifically pointed to the Pharisees. Now, what about the rest of the guests? Jesus noticed in this party that unlike at uh, the wedding banquet I went to, uh, there wasn't necessarily... Everybody didn't know what the assigned seating was at this Shabbat dinner. And so he noticed people were jockeying for the better place. They wanted to sit closer to the head of the table. And so they were trying to get a better spot. And Jesus tells them, you ought not do that. You ought to sit at the very back. Humble yourself. Therefore, so that you can be exalted. Humble yourself and sit in the back and then let... Let the, let the one throwing the party, if they see fit to move you up, they'll move you up. But otherwise, you're setting yourself up for embarrassment. It's basically what he's saying. So now everybody at the party, not only the hosts, but the guests, I would assume, are somewhat offended. And that's where someone speaks up in the parable of the great banquet that starts the parable of the great banquet that we read. And I, and I just can't help but wonder, are they just trying to like, you know, this party is going downhill fast. Maybe I should say something. Maybe I should intervene here. What is something we can all get on board with? 
I think we can all get on board with the idea that, that we're, we're going to just be so excited. We're going to be blessed when we eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Let, let me just bring that up. Get everybody on the same page. We'll all be excited. And we can just kind of get this thing moving again because Jesus is kind of, he's kind of ruining things at this party. Let me see what I can do to get things going. And so I'm just kind of, I'm speculating, as you can tell. I'm just kind of guessing that maybe that's what's happening. But what does happen is someone at the party does say, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, what is that? What is this feast in the kingdom of God? There's no doubt that this is taking place in the midst of a feast that is meant to anticipate this great feast. And so the parallel is there. So everybody understood what was going on. And this is one of the things uh, that I think is really neat about God. Is that he sets up eternity, gets kicked off with a party. That God instructs his people, the Jews, throughout the Old Testament, he sets up all these festivals. Now, not all of them were joyous festivals. Some of them were opportunities for repentance of sin and things like that. But some of them were joyous festivals. And he says, you know what? One day we're going to have the biggest blowout anybody's ever experienced ever. That day is going to come when the kingdom of God is set up on earth forever. And when we fast forward, looking back on these things, we understand that day that's going to come is going to come when Christ returns. Now, I'm no expert about eschatology, the end of times. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I don't I don't I don't really have the answers to that. I just know Jesus is going to come back. And when he sets up his kingdom on earth. It's going to be a big time party. And this was something that was prophesied about in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25. I'm going to read a few verses out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25 verses 6 through 9. We read a prophecy about this great party that is to come. Now again, looking back, we understand this is at Jesus' return. This is when Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth. That's when we're going to have this big blowout party. But in Isaiah, it is foretelling what is going to take place. It's a prophetic word that begins with this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations. Now, what is that? That's that's the death uh, Paul, that would be the sheet that would cover the dead body. What is he saying? Well, he says it very clearly at the beginning of verse 8 of Isaiah 25. He will swallow up death forever. Now, if you've ever read Revelation, which is also a prophetic word about the day that is coming when Christ returns and the kingdom is set up on earth. And we're going to get to that in just a minute because it also talks about this party that is to come. This is going to sound a little familiar if you have read through Revelation. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove all people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. That's a prophetic word. What is is Isaiah saying? One day is going to come and God's going to throw an incredible party for all peoples. Everybody has the opportunity to get in on it.
In fact, I think that would have been surprising. What I, what I know, what I've studied about the Jewish folks, that actually would have been a surprising word. Because they would have thought, not everybody, not all peoples, not all kinds of people, only those to whom God has covenanted a relationship with them. Turns out that's just us. Only the Jewish people had this kind of covenant relationship with God. And so their assumption was this great party that is to come, that kicks off eternal glory, heaven forever, that that we, we the Jewish people, we're all getting in on that. Like you've got to be a really bad Jewish person and then you get excluded from the party. But the rest of us, we're all getting in on it. I don't know about that all people's thing, but all the Jewish people who have at least made an effort... We're getting in on the party. Now, the guest at this Shabbat dinner on Sabbath evening at one of the prominent Pharisees' house, maybe he's trying to save the party that was taking place then and there, when he says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, what would you think Jesus would say to that? Because obviously this is directed at Jesus. He just wants, I would imagine, I'm just thinking out loud with you a little bit here. I was just thinking maybe he's, he's saying, well, you know, isn't that going to be great? And Jesus would say, yeah, that's going to be great. And then they're going to say, well, pass the wine. Let's get back to it. This is great. We're having a great time. Jesus doesn't do that. Again, I, I hate to think of Jesus as a party pooper, but he's kind of playing that role. Now, he has a distinct reason. And it's God-given. But he doesn't affirm that idea that is being put out there. Which is that, shouldn't we all celebrate because we're Jewish and in covenant relationship with God, so we get in on the party. Shouldn't we be celebrating that? Isn't that going to be great? Jesus doesn't affirm what he says. In fact, he does what he often does, is he tells a parable. A short story with a point. And he begins to explain... What is this really going to be like? And that's where he gets into the story we just read. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, back in the day, if you had a big uh, party like this, um, and it doesn't tell us the occasion, we don't know why, if it was specifically for a wedding or just a social event or whatever, we don't really know. But what would happen is you would go out and you would invite people to the party. you say, hey, it's kind of like a save a date thing, right, that we do today. Save the date. On X, Y, and Z date, we're going to have this party at our house. It's going to start this time. You know, you get a plus one, whatever. And you send back the little card. You say, yeah. Well, back in their, their day, they would do something similar by the, the host would send out a messenger or ser- their servant. Here's the people on the guest list. Go to their house. Let them know this is a date and see if they can come. And if they affirmed, then what would the host do? The host would prepare for those amounts of people, right? These people said, yes, they're coming. So we're preparing for 20, 30, 40, how many ever are going to be there? Then they would prepare for that amount. When the day of the party would come, the host would then send out the servant yet again to say, hey, listen, everything's ready. Because they, you know, they didn't have text messaging back then. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, but they didn't have email. And so they couldn't call them up or anything like that. So you'd have to send the, the servant out and say, look, everything's ready for the party. Come on, come on over. It's party time, right? It's time to have fun. Let's get together. Let's... Let's have a good time. It would have been unthinkable in their culture 
to have RSVP to the original invite and then to come up with some lame excuse for why you can't go in the second invite that says, hey, it's ready to go. This is really an invitation. It's just letting you know it's time to, it's time to party. Let's get together. Would have been unthinkable to do that kind of thing. Now, I know uh, most of, you know, some of you antisocial people, you would want to do that. You might even dream of doing that. You get excited when parties are canceled, and I get that. There's, there's, there's just some of us that are that way, right? So it would, be, it would be a joyous occasion for you to have a good excuse. But even you peoples could not have said no. If you already said yes, you couldn't turn around now having known that they prepared for you and say no. But all they alike began to make excuses. Now Jesus says that. What is he saying? They don't have a good reason. These are excuses. And when you read them, you would readily agree with Jesus' assessment of the situation. These are most assuredly bad excuses. These aren't good reasons. These are bad excuses. I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Who buys a field without seeing it? Who doesn't go and look and see what quality it is to make sure it's worth the price? It is as big as the seller says it is. It's worth what they say it's worth. Who would not check that out in advance? Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. That's crazy. Some of you farmers know this. You, you wouldn't buy a cow without getting a good look at it, would you? You want to see what it's like. You want to check it out. You want to make sure it's worth it. Can these oxen do the job? Are they sickly? Are they underweight? How do they look? We never buy five, especially five. That's expensive. That's got to be a lot of money. Seems like maybe they're not exactly telling the truth. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So in this situation, uh, I just got married, so I can't come. It's not clear if it's the, the bride or the groom that is saying this. Is it the husband or the wife that's saying this? I don't know, but whichever one they are, that's the one that's the antisocial one, okay? Because they saw an opportunity, and man, they took it, right? Because I I, I'm just betting, just knowing human nature and how we are, most antisocial people are married to a social person. It's very rare, I have found, that two social butterflies marry or two antisocial people marry. Most of the time, it's that opposites attract thing, and one person loves the party, and one person wants a reason not to go. And I'm guessing this person who said, I just got married, I can't go, they're the one who's saying, I don't want to go to your party. I do not like people, right? That's probably the one. Because if they had gone back to the house to their social butterfly spouse and said, hey, time for the party, they probably would have got excited and said, let's go, right? Poor excuses. Bad excuses. These aren't good reasons. These are bad excuses. So what would the... Now, if that were me throwing a party, I'd just say, you know what? Forget it. Cancel the whole thing. Just, you know what? I've got leftovers for days. I mean, they didn't have freezers back then. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's why. But we're going to have a party anyways. I would have said cancel it. Not, not this guy. Not this host. This host says, no, no, no. 
we're going to fill this house with as many people as we can get to come, and we're going to have the party anyways. Now, what is Jesus saying here? What's, what's his point, right? Because this is a parable. It is a short story with a point. That's what a parable is. What is Jesus' point here? His point here is to everybody at this party, you guys think you're on the invite list. You think you're in. You think you're going to this party irregardless. But you're more like these invited guests who have excuses. He's saying this, those who assume they are in very well may be left out. And those who assume they deserve to be left out are the very ones who are invited in. And I believe that's a lesson for us. Jesus answers a question earlier in Luke chapter 13. Someone comes to Jesus and says to him in verse 23 of Luke 13, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus then begins to talk about the narrow door. It's not the only place in Scripture Jesus will talk about the narrow path or the narrow door. It goes against the assumption all are in. All are invited, but not all will come through that door. Not all will travel that narrow path. And his warning to this group of people gathered for a joyous celebration on on Sabbath is you guys think you're automatically in. But it just may turn out that you'll be on the outside looking in. Elsewhere, Jesus would say in Matthew 7, Starting in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, what day? Judgment day. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. When I read these things, now, first of all, understand, these are Jesus' words. I know we like to think of a nice, fluffy Jesus, but we have to know the Jesus of Scripture. We have to know who he is in the Bible and what he actually said. Sometimes he says things that are hard to hear, but he says them because we need to hear them. He says them because he cares. Everybody that's been responsible for another person, whether it's a a parent raising a child or an aunt raising a niece or a nephew or a grandparent looking after their grandchild, anybody who's been responsible for another person knows it is not loving to hold back truth. And sometimes you have to say hard things because you care. Not because you don't care, but because you care, you have to say some hard things. And Jesus is not trying to ruin the party He's trying to make a group of people aware of something. That you think by your ethnicity that you are Jewish. That by that very fact, you will be at this great party that is to come. That that God is going to throw when he sets up his kingdom. You think by the very fact that you are Jewish, you're getting in on that. And I'm just telling you, that's not the case. 
you don't automatically get in. Is that a word we need to hear? I think so. I think sometimes some folks can think I'm going to heaven when I die. Now, there's some theology there that, you know, if we had time to unpack, we would to talk about the heaven we go to when we die and the heaven that God will set up on earth and that those aren't necessarily the same thing. There is such a thing as an intermediate heaven, a place we go in the presence of God where we wait with him until Christ returns to set up his kingdom here on earth. And we're looking forward to that day. Jesus is trying to point out to us that we cannot assume by the fact that our parents were Christians and our grandparents were Christians, by the fact that we go to church, and by that I mean attend worship service, by the fact that we serve God, by the fact that we give money to God's work, whether it's in the church or outside the church. What does Jesus say? He says to those that were out there even preaching, prophesying, Just because I'm a pastor or a preacher, that doesn't guarantee I get to go to heaven. That those things that we think might be the pathway in which we have, that's that's our invitation. That's our ticket. Who we are and how we act. that's, That's how we're getting in. And I think Jesus has a word of warning to us. That's not necessarily the case. That you can check all the Christian boxes that you should check. All things that are very important. Do not misunderstand. I am not saying being in a worship service is unimportant. Serving God is unimportant. Giving is unimportant. Witnessing is unimportant. Teaching and preaching the the gospel is unimportant. I'm not saying any of all of that's very important. It's just not the reason that you will give when you stand before God and God says, why should you be allowed into my heaven? Those reasons will not be enough. Something interesting takes place in Revelation where we hear about this party, this great party at the end of time as we know it, that I think helps us understand how we can have assurance after Jesus says these hard things and we've taken stock of who we are. Because I don't think Jesus is telling this to the Jews. And I don't think through scripture he wants to communicate to us that you should doubt unnecessarily. He's saying there's good reasons to doubt and you need to know what those reasons are. But there's also good reasons to have assurance. And when you zoom back and look at the totality of scripture, we have good reason. Following right in line with this idea of the feast in the kingdom of God. In Revelation, it's called something a little bit different. In Revelation, it's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. Same idea. Okay? Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 6. The person writing this is the Apostle John. He would have been one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. And John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! 
For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding supper of the Lamb has come. And his bride has, been, has made herself ready. Now, now listen to this. This is the key. If you're the bride, do you get in on the wedding party? If you're the bride, feel free to answer. What do you think? If you're the bride, do you get in on the wedding party? Yeah, right? Yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the one guest that is guaranteed you're getting in. You're not even a guest, right? You're a big part of this thing. Wedding supper of the Lamb, wedding has transpired. It's party time. The bride is there. No shock, no surprise. You would expect that. Listen to what it says about the bride. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. How so? How has the bride made herself ready? In other words, how do you get in on the wedding supper of the lamb? How do you get in on heaven? How do you make sure you're not like one of these guests who made an assumption that you were in and it turns out you're not? Here we read in verse 8 of Revelation 19, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And what I read there is that she did not make it. She did not purchase it. It was given to her to wear. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Scripture tells us in the very next sentence what that has to do with anything is that the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Now, that's telling us something. It tells us that the bride are God's people. In other words, the bride is the church. So how does the church get in on the wedding banquet of the Lamb? How do do we get in on heaven? Something has to be given to us, those linens. We have to be given wedding clothes to wear. And in fact, Jesus tells very much the same parable in Matthew uh, 22. And in Matthew 22, what takes place at the end of the parable, he's telling this very similar parable to the one we just read in the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. And he says that the host recognizes someone doesn't have wedding clothes on and they get kicked out. They needed to be wearing the right attire to be in that location. And the bride is no exception. The the bride needs to be wearing the proper attire. She needs to have on this fine linen bride and clean. How does she get it? It is given to her. What does that stand for? The righteous acts of God's people. What, What are we reading here? We're reading that Jesus is the reason we get in on the party. He's the one that makes us clean. He's the one that gives us the clothes to wear. He's the one that that takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. And if you trust that, that is the proper assurance to have to know that this heaven that is ahead of us, this great banquet that is in front of us, I know I'm in on that. Not because I'm a good person. Not because I check all the Christian boxes but solely because the one for whom this festival is prepared has made me ready for the party. 
The groom, in, in this case in Revelation 19, the groom is the one who has prepared the bride for the wedding and for the celebration. She didn't buy her own wedding dress. It was given to her. You and I cannot buy our own ticket to heaven. It has to be given to us. But it's an expensive ticket. If you've ever thrown a wedding before, you know this. It ain't free, is it? Even if you're doing it on a budget, you're going to spend some money. You and I, to get in on this great party, to be a part of this feast, to be the bride, it's not free. But the price has been paid on our behalf. That is what Jesus came to do. But his point here is don't assume. How can you know? It's not assuming that your resume is going to get you in. It's knowing that I've got a place at the table because of Jesus. That's it. Final thought. Some of you know that and you trust that. You've placed your faith in Jesus. You have confidence, rightly so, that heaven is before you. What I want to encourage you to do, what I want, how, how I want to encourage you to see yourself, is I want you to see yourself like this servant in the parable. The master sends the servant out the first time for the initial invite. Sends the servant out the second time for the second invite. That's where the party goes awry. And what does the master do? The master then sends the servant out yet again. Go invite more. And then they bring in some that said yes. And the, the master's looking around and said, there's still room. Go out. Invite more. I want us, if you're a Christian and you know you've got heaven as your home, I want you and I to be like that servant. I want us to be going and inviting. I want you to pick up these cars, invite people to Easter. I want you to be telling people your story and how Jesus saved you. I want you to be sharing the truth of Scripture with people. I want, you to, I want you to talk to people about what heaven looks like. When the master sends the servant out, he says, I want you to compel them. It's almost the language of force, but not quite. I, I take it more as it is a command that demands intentionality. Now, I want to connect that to some of what we're doing if you have picked up one of your Bible reading plans, you will see in there a, uh, a sheet, regular size piece of paper, that's this, a prayer card. It's four different prayer cards, and, the, and they're perforated into postcard size. And, and those are to put things down that you are praying for. And you may not know where to start. And being that servant that goes out and compels people to come in, can I encourage you to start with a prayer card? And put down some names of people you think are far from God and just begin to pray for them. That should be our very first step. It's our second step. It's our third step. It's our step all the way through. But it should be our very first step to begin to pray for those who do not yet know with the right confidence that heaven will be their future home. That they'll be a part of this great banquet, this amazing party that God intends to throw for those who don't deserve it. Like you and me. Do you know some people that you are just desperate to see at that table? Are you praying for them? Are you asking God to open doors of opportunity 
to invite them to come and see, to hear the good news, to share your story. If not, my great hope is that maybe today, maybe God will use my feeble words, but the strength of his scripture to show you that he wants you in on this. He wants you to be that servant that's going out and inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting. However that looks. That you would be that one to say, man, God's got something great ahead of us if we trust in Jesus. I want to see you a part of that. Children, students, men and women, that we would just be praying, God, who needs this? Who's far from you? Who who doesn't have confidence that they're in? Or they have the confidence in the wrong things that they're getting in? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? And just begin to pray for one person, two people, three. And every day just pray and pray and pray. Because let me go back to where I started. I love this idea that God says, you know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be like a party. That's how we're getting things kicked off. We're getting things kicked off with a big old party. Isaiah says God is making the best food you have ever tasted in your entire life. Which to me is like... The reason to go to parties is for the good food. If you're throwing a party and you're not serving good food, I mean, I'll still come, especially if I'm your pastor because I feel an obligation. But I'll be honest. I, I, I'm looking for those bacon-wrapped jalapenos. Oh, yeah, I can't eat that anymore. forgot. Low-fat cheese. Okay. That that is what we have ahead of us, Christians. I mean, isn't that awesome? That's who God, he wants to celebrate with us that which we did not earn, did not deserve. He wants to gift us with eternity. And it's getting kicked off with a party. Aren't there people you know and love that you want to see there? Let's pray for them. When God opens that door of opportunity to share, let's walk through it with courage and boldness that they may know for the right reason that they're in. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us that you would give us heaven. We could not earn it, and in Christ we cannot lose it. You are so awesome that you would bless us with not just a little fun, but a lot of joy being in your presence forever. God, I pray that every person here this morning would have the assurance that they're getting in on that. Not the assumption that they're in because of their good works, because of their record, because of their attendance or their giving or their serving. But they would know that they would know that they would know that they have heaven in front of us, in front of them, because of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would just flood our mind with one person or two or three that, that we know, that we love, we care about, that seem far from you. And God, we would just commit them to prayer today and tomorrow and the next. And God, you would open up doors of opportunity for us to winsomely, lovingly, graciously share the good news of Jesus. And that you would bring more and more people into your banquet. That your house would be full. And God, you don't need us to do that, but you invite us to be a part of that. You invite us to be that servant that extends that invitation. And God, we thank you that we get to be a part 
of sharing such great news. Help us to live it. Help us to share it. We ask in Jesus' name.